Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick exploration of timely topics featuring University of Michigan experts. They'll share their insights talking to Michigan News staff who are former journalists. It's a new year, and people are once again hitting the gym. I'm Laura Bailey, Public Relations Representative at the University of Michigan. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Laura Richardson, clinical exercise physiologist and associate clinical professor at the University of Michigan School of Kinesiology. We're going to discuss a healthier and more lasting way to view getting fit that does not focus on the scale. In January, millions of people start their New Year's resolutions, and many of those include losing weight. Unfortunately, many of those fail. Can we talk about a healthier, more sustainable way to approach fitness and track progress besides the scale? Yes, let's start with focusing primarily that the bathroom scale is not an effective way to track our progress. I do recommend, however, logging how many minutes you move throughout the day along with your daily step count using either a pedometer or a fitness tracker as these are much more effective because we actually have control over these numbers. I always tell my patients, I won't ask you how much you weigh at each session, but I will ask how are you feeling? So keeping track of your activity, your emotions, logging both the good and the bad days. Reflecting back on your notes can be the best impetus for progress in your fitness journey and much more effective than the bathroom scale. What are some other reasons that people don't stick to a fitness plan and how can we overcome these barriers? Recognizing personal barriers is really important for everyone to consider. Really thinking that many barriers can be orthopedic limitations such as low back pain, knee discomfort, and for others it might just be lack of time. So these barriers really do exist. The important thing to remember is that we want to create a program that works with your lifestyle. For those with orthopedic limitations, I always say consider non-weight bearing activities such as a stationary bike, seated chair aerobics, water walking. For those with time limitations, consider setting your alarm earlier in the morning than others in your house may wake up and you can get the exercise done before you put on your work clothes. Those that are fortunate enough to do Zoom meetings at work, you might be able to walk and talk on those meetings or using your lunch break more effectively. Barriers are there. So you want to remember to set your duration and your intensity to a workload that aligns with your fitness level. Be patient with yourself, slowly build up the endurance and strength, and really most importantly, be flexible with your expectations because this is the best way to not let barriers from stopping you from moving. In your experience, do people typically set realistic goals or no? Realistic goals are really easier said than done. Most people, when it comes to setting a goal, aim very high, and it's really important to recognize where's your fitness ability. I encourage people to start slow and attainable. A good way to get moving is to comprise activity that can be repeated numerous days a week. So it might mean you're doing less exercise, but you're doing more back-to-back days. And some people really do struggle to believe that small bouts of exercise can be effective, but we know research definitely has documented that it does not need to be exhausting and vigorous to provide health benefits. So again, starting with short bouts is realistic. We can accumulate these minutes throughout the day. A quick example might be for someone beginning 10 to 15 minutes, repeat it two to three times per day. Another little tidbit about realistic thinking is really be conscious of your sit time. I always say beware of the chair. This mentality can really be helpful. So I want you to aim to interrupt prolonged sitting, setting a timer, getting up every two hours, remembering to stand up and walk around. These are very realistic ways of getting yourself going. 
We hear so much about steps. How important is it to track steps and what's a good number? Tracking and logging our steps is really important and it really can help us to remain active throughout the day. So the step goal that we commonly see advertised is important to talk about is 10,000 steps per day. And although research does support, we have great improved health with this many steps, we need to clarify that 10,000 steps equates to about five miles a day. So for those just getting started with moving, this can be too much too soon. There are people who will push themselves to walk the 10,000 steps a day, but then take the next four or five days off to recover. This is not our goal. So walking and tracking steps should be done all or most of the days of the week. So you're not just looking for one or two days of a good step counter. So an ideal way to do this on your own is to wear your pedometer or your tracker and get an average of what your day is like in the office, what your day is like on the weekend. If you're working from home, it's common to maybe only be getting 2,000 steps a day. Find what your body is used to and then go up at about 500 or 1,000. Remember, you're looking for back-to-back days. And always remember that something is better than nothing. Being active and exercise are different things. Is being active enough to stay fit, or do you need a focused cardio and weight routine in addition to daily activity? Yes, let's first talk about being active. When we begin to increase our daily activity, and research has shown this, that we are going to have improved health benefits, like glucose, or you might know that as a sugar, right? For those with diabetes, we're going to have improved uptake, better energy, deeper sleep, a host of other health-related improvements just with basic activity. When we engage in sustained aerobic or cardio activity, this has a direct link with reduction in cardiovascular disease. When we couple this with resistance training, so many positive physiological changes occur. We have improved bone density, better weight maintenance, overall better fitness, reduced risk for falling. So yes, there is a difference between being active and engaging in a regular well-rounded exercise program. But again, I want to just say when you're getting started, low and slow, eventually building up that endurance that you can do sustained activity. And eventually you're going to get that improved health and fitness that you're looking for. When someone is just starting, what kind of exercise cardio or weight routine or both should they do? When you're just getting started, again, start with what your lungs and heart can do. 10 minutes, 15, 30 minutes, whatever that may be. We're all very individual, very personal. Um, Start with something you enjoy. If you want to walk the dog, go do that. If you want to turn on, you know, fitness on demand on your TV, you can do that. So you've got to find the mode. And sometimes this is where people give up too quickly. You've got to find something you actually, I'm going to use the word, enjoy. You might not enjoy it right away, but something you're going to be able to do. And again, for cardio, you're looking for three, four, five days a week. And we're adding on some type of resistance training at least two days a week, whether they're resistance bands, dumbbells. So beginning to navigate the fitness landscape and figuring out, try different things to find what works for you. Two-thirds of our population has excess weight or obesity. We don't want to focus on the scale, but where does weight loss fit into this? When it comes to weight loss, exercise is just one component of the puzzle. So to really help with body composition, we know that there's many different pieces here. So a well-balanced weight loss program, multiple components such as nutritional guidelines and what you should be eating and how much you should be eating. We need to have a behavioral component on mental health and stress. We have the importance of sleep and, of course, obviously physical activities in there as well. So exercise programs need to have both aerobic and resistance training, some flexibility. We really want 
the program to be individualized, personalized for where you are. And this is what's going to allow your body to adapt physiological, help to improve your metabolic health, which is related to body composition and obesity. So the phrase that you can't outrun a bad diet is common. So I like to say when you're looking for, when we're talking about overweight and obesity, I wanted to say making good healthy choices throughout the day is the best for getting started on a new fitness journey. Let's say I don't know how to craft my own workout. I don't know what to do. Are there people who can help me and, and how do I find them? Yeah, there is a host of great exercise professionals that are available. We have something called the U.S. Reps, the United States Registry of Exercise Professionals. And someone can hop on there and they can pick and choose what they're looking for. And there'll be a list of people that are certified to help, whether it be strength and conditioning, whether it be group exercise, clinical exercise. So there is an access. And then there's a lot of reputable fitness facilities in all communities that is always always a good first stop. You should go and visit who is working in your local fitness facility, get a feel for them, and you know evaluate from there. One of your research areas is looking at the stigma of body size and weight bias among fitness workers against people with excess weight. Is this a barrier to exercise for people? Yes. Unfortunately, weight stigma is pervasive and it easily is a barrier and a roadblock for many people to begin exercising. So personally, personally, I'm very committed to helping build an inclusive medical community with fitness professionals that are welcoming and knowledgeable with skill set to really help those that with overweight or obesity to be comfortable to engage in activity. So it is true that many people do find local fitness centers to not be accommodating or accessible. So if this is how someone feels, I encourage you to begin in your home buy yourself maybe a used machine, a treadmill, a bike, put it in front of your living room television and just get started in the comfort of your own home until you really feel like you might be ready to go into a fitness facility. There are others that love their local fitness facility. So it's really very personal on how people feel about others, exercising with others, mirrors in a room. So really, I want to just re-encourage the thinking of perceptions of other people need to not get in the way of your physical activity goals. So you have to find an environment that you're comfortable in. What should people look for if they want to find someone with whom they can work out at home? Right. So there are a host of different exercise certifications. A great beginning is someone who has a degree, maybe a bachelor's degree in kinesiology, exercise science. You now know that they have really studied the human body and they understand biomechanics and basic muscular skeletal response. So that's always a good start. And then as people begin finding their niche on what they want to focus on, we have certified strength and conditioning professionals, right? And then we have people through the American College of Sports Medicine, you know, exercise, credentials that vary based on what your need is. If there's people with chronic disease, diabetes, hypertension, then you're looking for someone who's got clinical exercise physiology background through the American College of Sports Medicine. There are lots of people that can get great help from many different layers of credentials, but you're really looking for someone who's got some type of knowledge in how the body moves. Um, And again, the U.S. Reps website is a great place to look when you're looking for what are the different types of certifications that are out there. What are your thoughts on the fitness influencers who seem to just be flooding social media? Is this helpful or harmful or a mix of both? 
Yeah, social media comes with good and bad. So unfortunately, what is commonly advertised and marketed is vigorous, high-intensity exercise plans on social media. And these are not sustainable or advisable for beginners. So depending on where you are, again, on that fitness spectrum, if you're a beginner falling into the trap of, look at how great these people look on social media. So these extreme programs, what happens is the beginner can give it a shot, they can try it, and then very easily become overwhelmed, throw the towel in and quit. Um, So I caution people to be careful with online exercise programs. Again, we need things to be personalized and individualized for who you are, your orthopedic, your age, your ability. The good news about social media, though, there are good things, is that people can find motivation. It can become a community where the social media account, the fitness account that someone's following can help them to sustain thinking and doing healthy things. So my word of caution is just be realistic on what your body is capable of doing, not to compare yourself to others along the fitness journey. And that's the best tidbit for success with social media. A lot of people, when they start a fitness program, focus on the scale. Why is that not sustainable? And are we getting away from focusing on the scale at all? When you're looking at the scale, it's a number that people seem to be frustrated with. I want to lose weight. I'm not happy with my weight. And it took years and years and years to get to the weight you're at. But from a fitness perspective, Watching the scale move is very painful. We have no control over the scale moving. Many people, I set the goal. My number one goal is weight maintenance. As you begin a fitness program, I don't want you to gain any more weight. I'm looking for you to maintain weight. So if we can change the narrative of I'm, not, I'm here to lose weight and more of how you feel, the scale eventually should change if we're doing all of the other components of a weight loss program successfully. Yes, your physician, your diabetes doctor may be you're looking at that weight and they're going to weigh you when you go into the, their office, but we don't need to be weighing ourselves all the time in our own home. I would, again, focusing more on how you feel. Not everyone needs to lose weight either, so we want to be realistic. You can get benefits, health benefits, by just engaging in activity, by really just even losing Eight to 10 pounds can have a dramatic difference in your health. So it doesn't need to be an extreme weight loss to see health benefits. So just slow and steady and focusing how you feel, less focused on the scale. A lot of times the clothes will fit differently before the scale actually moves. When we're talking about tracking, what are things people should look for if they're not looking at the scale to measure improvement? I like to say if you have a calendar, your kitchen calendar, and you're logging, you know, check mark on the days you're moving and maybe an X on the days you're not, and I'm looking for let's reflect back to that month and see how many bad days you have. So a good way of beginning to just be really easy on yourself is are you beginning to have less so-called bad days, days where you're really not moving? And that is a good way of tracking your behavior because the more you move, the better you feel. The more your joints are moving, I always say motion is lotion, the more those joints are moving, the joints are going to feel better. So being realistic that we're not, you don't have to go run for 60 minutes to be successful here in the beginning. So tracking behavior and looking for, can you get five consecutive days every week under your belt? We're making progress. What if I'm the only one in my family who likes to stay active? How do I motivate them without alienating them? even here in Michigan, on our getting our kids active and setting being a role model. So teachers in the school system being role models, family members being role models. Our generation is going to mimic what we do. So yes, you may have people that don't want to, but you know, whether it's a walk before or after dinner or finding uh, weekend activities to do that are unplugged from screens and TVs that families are doing together, hiking and bird watching and skiing and 
things that don't take a lot of high intense physical ability can really help those kids to appreciate how good they feel when they move. So yes, setting examples in the school system, setting examples in the home is the best way for lifelong movers. When you are working with people, what is the thing that most surprises them about their fitness level when you start? Really positively, people are really amazed at what they can do. I've worked with people. I'm the oldest fella I've worked with is in his 90s, so he's 92. And so I am always so pleasantly surprised when you find the right mode and intensity and people can do it, they start feeling so great. It's amazing what our bodies are capable of doing. We are meant to move. We are moving beings. And when we move ourselves, we begin to feel better. So it's always just the smile of people a couple of weeks later saying, I can't believe I'm sticking to this. I can't believe how good I feel. It doesn't take a lot to become a mover or a regular exerciser, but people are often, oftentimes pleasantly surprised that they can do, be doing more than what they think they can be doing. An office worker listening to this who sits behind a desk eight hours a day may be feeling dejected about now. How do they stay active? Oh, yeah. I mean, I talk a lot about, you know, beware of the chair. So if you're that office worker and you've got a little timer going every two hours dinging to help you to remind you, stand up, get out of the chair, take a call while you're standing. If you have a desk or your books, you can elevate your computer on so you can stand a little bit and sit a little bit. You know, lunch breaks are really important to get moving. I always say, you know, years of working in the hospital myself, I would always see the physicians and healthcare workers in the steps themselves walking on their lunch breaks. So It's a real, it's not just stay-at-home people, but it's everyone that's trying to find little niches of time throughout the day to get moving. So you just want to change the way you think about your job, the way you think about your own body. And if we can stand up, we can get moving, Uh, find the bathroom far away on your potty breaks, park the car at the back of the parking lot when you go to the grocery store. Little ways of changing the way you live can really change the way you feel every day, your energy levels. This has been so helpful. Is there a main takeaway? Yes, really important to remember that something is always better than nothing. And I like to just reiterate that if somebody has one bad day, don't let that bad day derail your whole week. So don't let one bad day say, I'm taking a week off of exercise. I have worked with people who have done this and it's so extreme that then they take a whole month off and they're waiting for next year to finally get back on their on the the exercise and the moving. So take every day for what it is. You wake up the next day and you set your goal to get moving. So again, the more we move, the better we feel. It's going to take some time and patience for you to find exactly what type of exercise it is you want to be doing. Once you find it, stick with it, grow with it, and you will find that your cardiorespiratory system, your muscles, your body are going to adapt and your longevity will pay off in the long run. Dr. Richardson, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Michigan Minds. Stay tuned for future podcasts by Michigan News.